episode 331. You know, most shops, they can be gold mines, but they're not. I, one fellow said, my wife hates my business. And I said, why? He said, because I'm here always at work and I don't make any money. I said, she's on to something, dude. Like She's got it figured out. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hello and welcome. Carm Capriato here with episode 331 with business coach Kelly Bennett. Brought to you by Federal Mogul Motor Parts and Garage Gurus for serious technical training and support online, on-site, and on demand. Garage Gurus is everything you need to know. Find out more at fmgaragegurus.com. Hey, you know, when I think back to the start of the show in March 2015, I'm in awe of the support from you as you discovered this golden vein of good ideas and insights to spark your success engine. A big thanks to you for being involved in the podcast and slicing off your share of wisdom that's liberally shared by our guests each week. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any subscription service for that matter, a rating, a review, and a like is always appreciated. It goes a long way to grow the podcast influence into the wide reach of aftermarket professionals. Hey, if you've not visited the website lately, you'll find a photos page, my speakers section, and some unique ways to filter the content to narrow your listening focus. You know how new opportunities and challenges happen each day to us, and you'd like to get some introspective or advice from a colleague. Well, the tag cloud is your best bet to help you find what you're looking for. The shortcut of the tag cloud is remarkableresults.biz slash tag. You'll find over 80 specific subject topics. Socially, I'd like to welcome Isaac Rodiesel, Sam Mo, Nathan Mitchell-Walker, Ryan Hargett, and Dave McClung, who bestowed Facebook friendships on me, and to Susan Bargan, Mike Moenkamp, and Laura Hamilton on their recent LinkedIn connections. Find all social podcast links at remarkableresults.biz slash social. And don't forget about AMI credit. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash AMI. Hey, now meet business coach Kelly Bennett, commonly referred to as Kelly the Coach. We had a great interview as Kelly and I talked about a universal excuse that shop owners give when they're struggling to find success. We also talked about a concept called the American Dream. We spoke about the role of a business coach, the four points of contact in a service business, being prepared for customers that shop for price, and the five wins necessary to find your success. Find the episode's show notes at remarkableresults.biz slash E331. So glad you're on the Aftermarket's Learning Highway, where you get three amazing new podcasts a week to help align your personal and business strategy. Now, let's listen to Kelly Bennett. You'll be glad you did. Hey, a warm welcome to Kelly Bennett, AAM, from kellythecoach.com. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Carm. Thanks for having me on. Hey, glad to have you here, man. Hey, have you ever heard of the excuse, it's different here? I'm a Canadian, as you know, and I initially started my business in 1987. I traveled across Canada, 153 different cities, coast to coast, and people would say, yeah, but it's different here, but it's different here. And then I, as a Canadian, very fortunate, have been to all 50 states. And that's amazing. Well, good I mean, for you. Yeah. And I love the U.S. Honestly, when I was first asked to work in the U.S., I said I didn't want to. Uh, they asked me why. And I said, well, uh, I find Americans tend to be rude, crude, brash, and arrogant. And they said, well, would you at least start it? This was in 95. And I went to the U.S., which I've been before traveling, but not on business. And I love Americans. I love the country. Uh, my perspective totally changed. Now, one thing I learned, though, Carm, is that if Americans don't like you, they tell you. If Canadians don't like you, they tell everybody else. <laughs> and honestly, I'd rather hear it directly. But having said that, what I did learn is that the American dream, from my perspective, is to work really, really hard to buy toys that you don't have time for. Wow, that, that was that's a total mouthful right there. Honest to God, Kelly. I mean, that is so true. Well, you can research it. Americans work more days per year than anybody else in the entire world. It used to be the Japanese, and now it's Americans. What's going on in Canada? I mean, uh, is everybody working hard too? 
Got it. Well, it's different. Um, we work hard, play hard. In Canada, when you're an employee, you get two weeks paid vacation your first year. That is the law. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you work for a small little repair shop or the government, you are getting two weeks per year. Plus, depending on where you are in the country, we have statutory holidays. And, you know, in the U.S., you know, you've got Thanksgiving. Some people are <laughs> off Thursday, go back to work Friday. Uh, Christmas is one day usually. In Canada, we milk that. I mean, Christmas Eve, you would probably never work past noon. And then there's Christmas Day. And then we have Boxing Day, which is the day after, which is kind of nice. And if that's mm-hmm. on the weekend, we can stretch Christmas into four or five days. So, but bottom line is, I would say we're halfway between Americans and Mexicans, manana. But typically in your first year working for a company, you have one month's vacation in a year. So go back to my question. People blame their problems on the outside world? Too often. And you know the old expression that if everything that goes wrong in your life uh, is somebody else's fault, you, you can't fix that. It's, it's, it's too easy to blame other things, but we have no control over that. Kelly, help me with this. I, I remember visiting a shop a, a while back, uh, a few years ago now. I, I walked in and said, hey, how are things? Took out a an ad from the local, you know, kind of shopper, penny saver type newspaper. And he said, here's what's wrong with my shop. And he pointed to the ad. Of course, I knew it wasn't that ad because when I looked around the business and I looked in the bays and I, I looked at every element of the business, I really wanted to drag them really nicely respectfully into his office, look him in the eye and say, the problem's not the ad. The problem is <laughs> what's inside. Not the man in the mirror. Yeah. How does a coach like you have that discussion with a shop owner? Maybe because 30 years of experience and as a trainer, people will try to trip you up and try to ask you a question to see if they can honestly make you look foolish sometimes or look make you look bad so they can look good. A lot of people will say, but it's different here. I'll give you an example. I was training in Nanaimo, British Columbia. And this guy said, okay, so, but yeah, you're an American. I said, actually, I'm not. I sound an American, I've been told. But I said, no, I'm Canadian. He said, have you ever been to Nanaimo before? I said, yeah, lots of times. He said, so then you know it's different here. And I said, what's different about Nanaimo? He said, we have price conscious people. I said, well, that's where they all went. I was wondering they seemed to disappear from all of North America and obviously moved to Nanaimo. Uh, but I've heard it's different in Chicago. I've heard people say it's different in a big city. If you're in a small town, it's fine. I've heard people say if you're in a small town, it doesn't really work if you're close to a big city. I was training in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, and somebody said, oh, you know the problem here, right? I said, what's that? They said, we're a medium-sized city. And the stuff you're talking about, maybe work in a small town and it might work in a big city, but it doesn't work in a medium-sized city if you're in between two big cities. And I said, what are you, Malcolm in the Middles repair shop? And a lot of times people will say it's different when they are. Now, the one place that I would say it's different is if you're in a naval base and then all of a sudden 20,000 people are deployed overseas or something. That that That's logical. But so many people blame the weather. And I say, if you're waiting for the weather to change, you're a farmer, not a repair shop. That blaming the outside really gives you as a coach an opportunity and actually it helps steer you as to exactly what you have to fix. Correct. And usually, you know, to see a shop in one city doing $45,000 a month per tech and somebody else doing 18, 20, 23, maybe, uh, why is it working for them and not for you? And a good example of that would be one of my counterparts owned um, something like 14, 15 Midas stores in the Vancouver area. And some perform better than others. And they would complain and say, but they are in a different area and there's more money there and they go on and on. And so what he would do is take his top performer, put them in the lowest performing store and watch it turn around in a couple of months. So did the economy change? No. Did the demographics change? No. And he showed them that it's more about management than it is about pretty much everything else. Do you see a trend changing where entrepreneurs, shop owners, service professionals are are really sensing and knowing that they need to make changes internally to their leadership, their knowledge level? You know, I'd love to say yes. Um, now, having said that, having worked all across the U.S., again, all 50 states, all across Canada, sadly, in Canada, there's far more apathy than there is in the U.S. And, you know, in Canada, we have an apprenticeship program. And to be a licensed technician, depending on where you are, could be between six and 8,000 hours. And yet I see people who've taken 
one workshop on managing their business, one webinar, maybe. Uh, a fellow took one of my webinars a few months ago and this salesperson from the software company said, Kelly's doing another webinar. He said, oh, I've already taken another webinar. And I thought, if you think you can learn to run your business in a two-hour webinar, and I had people say, well, you know, if people need help managing their businesses, they really should never have started in the first place. And my response is every professional coach, sorry, every professional athlete, I should say, has a coach doesn't matter how good you get at your sport. And the interesting thing about that, you've got Tiger Woods, he's got a coach. You've got, you know, Phelps, he's got a coach. Now, is Tiger Woods' coach better at golfing than him? No, it would be reversed if that was the case. Phelps, his coach isn't really even a swimmer. The point is, is that a coach helps you with so many things. And, you know, a lot of people say they need people need to be motivated. I disagree with that, Carm. I think that if we inspire people, and I think one of my biggest jobs is to inspire people, to show them what can be, and then they motivate themselves. It's very difficult to get external motivation if it doesn't come from inside, from your heart. You're not doing anything. I mean, you're, you're, you're a slug, Yes. And a good example of that, you know, I've raised three kids they are all, you know, in their 20s now, but it would be interesting in the morning going to school. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You need to eat breakfast. You're not going without breakfast and you got to get up. And, and, you know, we'd be in the van honking the horn. But when it came to football practice or football game, my son was in the van before us honking the horn. Let's go. So he was inspired to go to football, but not inspired to go to school. I'm talking with Jonathan Chikelli, a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. Now, you're visiting shops every day. So when you put product in the hands of the technicians and service advisors, what are they saying? Uh, going back to Federal Mogul's long-term um, presence in the, in the industry, they already know the product. And some of them we don't have to say much about. It's the newer product, the latest innovations that we come out with that just blow people away. So, Jonathan, you take that brand new OEX pad and you put it into the hands of a technician. What happens? They look at it and are kind of speechless for a couple seconds. And they just can't deny that it's an awesome looking product. And they can't deny that it's going to work fantastic on their vehicles. Now, another phenomenal product line that is just one of the most iconic brands in the entire industry is Moog. Now, there's a lot going on with Moog. The newest thing with Moog is going to be, I think, the most important thing to the shops is a newer design ball joint that we created. And that was off of technicians' responses to a boot design. That's that compression-loaded ball joint with the pre-installed integral dust boot? Absolutely. And as soon as I pull that out of a box and show a technician or a shop owner, they just were like, this is amazing. So, Jonathan, would you say that you're a champion for Federal Mogul Motor Parts and all the premium products? Absolutely. And a champion for all the training. I'm, I'm very big on training. I've always been in training since I've been in the professional field. So, just to come back and support on the other end has just been an awesome experience. Federal Mogul Motor Parts' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On-site, online, or on-demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit fmgarageguru.com. So, Kelly, how do you inspire a service professional who you know has everything it's going to take to make them extremely successful? What do you, what do you say to them? You know, most shops, they can be gold mines, but they're not. And it really is more about changing things. Sadly, Carm, and I don't exaggerate stuff. I just don't. You're not going to hear me say always or never or everybody. But the average independent repair shop, whether it's Canada in the U.S. or the U.S., is doing about 50% of the potential. So when somebody is running a shop, for example, I had a fellow took a webinar. He sends me an email the next day and says, I've been in this business for almost 30 years. Honestly, I've never really paid attention to my numbers. I find a lot of people look at the bank account, but they don't take a look at the numbers. So he told me, he said, I think last year I did 1.1 million in sales. So he didn't even know that, Carm. And he said, I don't think I made any money. So he didn't even know that. And I did the math on a spreadsheet that I use. And I said, sir, you could be doing 3 million a year. You could do as much. He had seven techs. 
I said, you could do as much in sales with three technicians as you're doing with seven. And so how do you inspire people? You show them what can be. And after they realize, okay, so I do this thing called average shop, above average or awesome. And I say, I'm not going to ask you, you, you're, you know, your numbers, monthly sales. Let's look at that. You see where you're at. You determine if you're average, above average or awesome. The question is, no matter where you're at, where, how can you get to where you need to be? And we're not talking about working more hours. We're not talking about hiring more people. We're talking about the potential of doubling your sales and maybe profits and gross profit with what you've got by managing it differently. So when people see that carrot, I, by the way, I had a fellow just recently, he joined my management group. I don't really know him. He'd not been to training. He saw me on LinkedIn or something. And he said, Kelly, I can make more money working as a technician for somebody else. And Carm, there's a lot of people out there that could work as a tech, but they're control freaks, so they can't work for somebody else. Yeah, and that's they can't fine. Work. yeah you're right. I mean, I've been self-employed 30 years. Could I work for somebody else? Uh, probably not. What do you love about your job? There's one thing that people have said to me many, many times. You love what you do, and it shows. And there's nothing better for me than inspiring somebody and seeing them improve. Now, having said that, there's other trainers that I know personally. And what I don't appreciate is when they take credit for somebody else's improvements. Uh, I've heard trainers say, well, I took their business and I went from 1 million in sales to 3 million. No, you didn't. They did it. And to me, my goal is to inspire people, to show them what can be, to hold them accountable and see them improve. And that was them. So when somebody says, oh, thank you. No, you did it. You know, I had one fellow just recently increased his labor rate, $23 an hour. He said, thank you. I said, no, you're the one that went to your computer and changed it. So to me, if I inspire somebody and see them improve and go from a non-profitable situation to a profitable situation, to see somebody who goes from hating their business, and a lot of people do, or their family hates the business, or the spouse hates the business. I, one fellow said, my wife hates my business. And I said, why? He said, because I'm here always at work and I don't make any money. I said, she's on to something, dude. Like She's got it figured out. So back to it, um, bottom line is I love people. Now, if I was a technician, I'd be probably one of the world's worst technicians. I would be throwing tools for sure. I would be swearing because I've learned of myself. I have pretty low tolerance, very low patience for things, for machines. I want them to work and that's it. But I have lots of patience for people and I love people. And so, it, and it shows. I mean, um, I've had people say, you really care. You know the old expression, people don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And it's just always been my passion. And you would think 30 years into this, that I would lose that. And I, and I don't. Like, I'll get off of a webinar bouncing off the walls because people got it. To see that light turn on Kerm when you're teaching something and they go, oh, and they get it. I love what I do. There's nothing else I'd rather do. I get it. Your juice is to, it's a really turn people's lives around. Let them turn their own lives around Correct. and inspire Correct. them to do it. Yep. Uh, you can, you can see almost their future. They can't, and you probably help describe that, but did you ever bump into a client you couldn't help? Honestly, it's usually because it's too late. Uh, let me give you an example of that. I was up doing some training in Alaska and I had this super nice couple that was in, they were in my class and they wanted to take me up for dinner. And after I saw their financials, I thought you can't afford to take me up for dinner. Um, but they showed me their income statement. And here's a good point. A lot of people will pay attention to their income statement and it looks like they're making money but they can't catch up. They can't pay their bills on time. They're not paying themselves. They can't pay themselves rent if they own their own business. And so this couple was in a financial management class in Alaska. We'd already arranged dinner. They showed me their income statement. I said, things look good, but what about your balance sheet? And she said, oh, we never pay attention to that. And I say, well, your accountant gives you this fancy you know, do a tang binder, whatever. The first page basically says, if I've screwed up, I'm not liable. The second page is the balance sheet and the third is the income statement. And a lot of people will automatically go to the income statement right to the bottom line and think, oh, we did well, we didn't do well and move on. So back to this couple. So I went to the shop because it was close to where the restaurant was. It was actually North Pole, 
Alaska. And I don't mean the North Pole, but there's a town called North Pole. So we go into the shop and she said, what do you think of our business? And I said, well, this isn't your business. This is your facility. Uh, you get a really nice big waiting area. It's kind of nice. It's kind of dirty, but it's okay. But I said, let me show you balance sheet. So she printed off the balance sheet and I've been told I have a very transparent face. And she looked at me, she said, we're in trouble, aren't we? I said, yeah, yeah. She said, do you think we're going to make it? I said, probably not. They had $98,000 in credit card debt running that business. That doesn't show up in the income statement. And the next time I was in Alaska, they were out of business. Somebody else was running it. I think Carm, and it's hard to say this, I guess, but well, I've been kind of become Americanized, so I'll just go for it. People say you don't need to wonder what Kelly's thinking. He's saying it. I think the biggest difference is when I learned one day the difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance is you simply don't know. And I've met some automotive technicians who assume that if somebody doesn't know what they know about a car, they're stupid. They're just stupid. They don't understand. You know, they don't even know their engine size. How stupid is that? Uh, I know my wife one time, she called a repair shop and asking something. He said, with or without air? And she said, I don't know. And he thought, oh, she's stupid. I thought, you don't say somebody with or without air. We know it's air conditioning. Um, but she didn't understand. So she's talking about something with or without air. What's that have to do? And that doesn't make somebody stupid. And so when I'm in a class and I'm teaching somebody, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to come across as arrogant. I make it very clear. Yeah, I can read an income statement. I can read a balance sheet. But if you gave me a wiring diagram, I would be completely lost. Because I don't understand a wiring diagram doesn't make me stupid. And because you understand a wiring diagram but don't understand income statements, that doesn't make you stupid. And it's really ignorance. And ignorance simply means you don't know. So if you've not taken much management training and you don't know and you learn then you can become smart. You bring such a great point up. I learned a long time ago to say, I don't know. There, there was a point in time, I think, in everyone's life, they don't want to utter them words because it either is going to hurt their ego or it's going to put a facade up or continue to build a facade that they've been building for years. Oh, yeah, I know about that. It's good. And I think that your point you're trying to make and the point that I'm trying to shore up here is it's okay to say, you don't know. You know, in training, you know, you're dealing with egos. I mean, only, I don't know if you know this, but I researched it. Only approximately 3% of Canada's population is self-employed. I took that further. About 3% of the U.S. population is self-employed. And if you Google it, about 3% of the world's population is self-employed. So we're a small number. And so if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But that 3% is small, right? And it's typically driven by ego. And ego is not necessarily a bad thing. It can get in the way. But when you can say, you know what, it really is my fault. And I'll give you an example of that. I've done training where it's sponsored by a parts company. And I'll have somebody in front of me and there's this facade. And they think they know this and they think they know that. And they, you know, they're nodding their head. And their sales rep is behind them shaking their head. And then later on, say to me at the break, you know, that mouthpiece, He's behind in his parts bill. He's always 90 days. So he's telling you things are going well, but they're not really going well. But back to your question, I think there's only two people, maybe a third, that I wanted to say, here's the problem. You really are too stupid to run a business. But the problem is you're too stupid to be an employee too. And the problem is even worse because you're actually ignorant about your stupidity. And so you don't even know. So the point is, is that most people, it's just ignorance. And there's very few people that I think are not uh, able to be helped. Aren't you being harsh? Help me understand what you're, what you're trying to say here. As a coach, if all I say to you is nice things, what good am I doing? When I do an on-site evaluation in a shop, I have a 64-page, what I call, report card. And is it hard? Yeah. In a class, it's easy. You're talking about things people are doing wrong without specifically pointing to people. But if I'm in your shop on your turf and I have to tell you, this is bad or this is really horrible. And, you know, as a coach, I thought, oh, maybe it's I'm being too hard on people. Honestly, and I mean, honestly, 
I've had many people say, you know what? You weren't hard enough on me. You needed to be harder on me. So it's like a coach in a sporting thing. You need to know when you need to put pressure on and how do you balance inspiration, encouragement with correction. And if you don't do both, you're not doing anybody any good. You told me once that there's three critical pieces uh, of uh, success. Communicate, communicate, communicate. There is an issue, maybe this is what you're referring to, is what I've said is how many problems are caused in your shop because of a lack of communication between the customer, the advisor, and the tech, the tech, the advisor, and the customer. So that's maybe the three things. Are you talking about your Bermuda Triangle? A Bermuda Triangle is something different. Uh, it's part of that. Um, the Bermuda Triangle, I mean, most of us are old enough to remember the Bermuda Triangle in the movie and, you know, the planes would, you know, and, and I've found out that it was an issue with um, electrical magnetic, uh, not my thing, but it's been solved with um, with GPS. But in a shop, I talk about the Bermuda Triangle and yeah, you're right there. It does relate to that. And I say in a shop, there are four human contacts. There's the customer. There's the advisor, there's the tech, and usually the owner. Now, sometimes the owner is the advisor, but in most cases, there's the four. And somebody's got to be in the middle. So I'll ask people who's in the middle, and they'll say customer. Yeah, I'd agree with you that they should, but they're not really. And so back to what you were talking about there, correct. The advisor is typically the person in the middle of the triangle. Why? Because they communicate with all of them. They communicate with the customer. They answer the phone. They get them off the phone into the shop. They greet them. They get the information from the customer. And then they communicate to the tech. And they also communicate to the owner. So you can have happy customers, not happy techs. You can have happy techs and not a happy boss. So, yeah, the triangle is is a stressful place to be. And so I teach that there's things that you can do to reduce the stress of being in the middle of that triangle. And if we really changed our minds, our paradigm shift, if you will, and we have the customer is the focus, then things change and we can really reduce the stress of the advisor. I really believe that the most difficult position to fill is the advisor because when you're, if you're a tech, and you start your own shop, and now you're the advisor, you're kind of giving up the cars, and you're trusting people to do that. But when you get yourself off the counter, and by the way, I call that the evolution of the shop owner, most start on the creeper in the bay, get into the the counter, which is usually the most dangerous place for a shop owner to be because they give away the farm, and then eventually get into the office, and then hopefully eventually an absentee owner or maybe multi-store owner. But when you make that transition from the counter to the office, which most people never do, um, you're giving up the customers, and now you've got somebody that you need to trust with the customers. So people say it's hard to find a great tech. I'll agree. But I think it's much harder to find a great service advisor. And when they're in the middle of that triangle, it's a tough, tough position. Great answer. Thanks. Customer's perspective. um, Are they always comparing prices? More so now than ever. And it's because of the advent of the internet. When I was writing service, albeit it was 1978, 79, and 80, uh, I remember gas was 16.7 cents a liter because it was a Texaco three-bay shop. So I'm dating myself. But in those days, it was a different world. People couldn't just easily phone a parts store. Some would, they were do-it-yourselfers. It was a different world. And today, a person can let their fingers do the shopping. And a lot of times, a person will give somebody an estimate and they'll say, but um, I went online and that part was cheaper on eBay. I went online and the part was cheaper on Kijiji, actually. Or my customer phoned another parts store and they found the part cheaper. And again, back to ignorance, a lot of times they'll say, well, you don't bring your steak into our restaurant and ask them to cook it now, do you? Now, that's true. But just because something's true doesn't mean you say it. I mean, you see somebody's baby. It's the ugliest baby you've seen in your life. You don't go, oh, my God, what happened? You say, what a cute baby. Uh, but back to um, to the parts, to say to somebody, you don't bring your eggs into a restaurant and ask them to cook them, I believe is rude. And I believe it's because of lack of salesmanship. So what I teach is that when somebody says, I saw the part cheaper someplace else. We suggest you agree. That sounds great. That's awesome. Can I ask you some questions? Okay. Uh, Do you know the quality of the part? Because our quote was premium quality. And there's parts out there, honestly, that we won't install in a customer's vehicle. Do you happen to know what the warranty is on that? And you pause because they might 
but they probably don't. Ignorance, not stupidity. And they say, well, I didn't ask that. Well, our warranty, which we recommend minimum 24, 24, 24 months or 24,000 kilometers or uh, miles. And so when a person says, oh, I don't know, 24, okay. And they phone back and find out that part maybe is six months or 12 months. So people are comparing apples with oranges, but you have to be prepared. So when somebody says, I saw the part online, that sounds good. Uh, do you know the quality of the part? Give you an example. I was in a shop one time doing an onsite and this guy comes in and I thought, what a chicken. He said, my son was here. So he sicked his dad on the shop. And some people will see that with a spouse where they'll have the spouse come in and be upset. But he said, you ripped my son off. That's a pretty bold statement. And the advisor didn't know how to respond to that. And he said, what happened? He said, the part that you sold him was far more than it should have been. And he saw it on eBay and it was cheaper. And he's looking at me because I'm his coach. I said, you know what? We really need to look into this. What we'd like to do is find out some information and tell you what, we've got your phone number. Would you like us to call you or your son? Call you, okay, which phone number? Uh, let's check into it. So I go online and that part that he was talking about was in the US, we were in Canada, so there's shipping. Plus it has to go through customs and immigration, which can tie it up. So I phoned the local dealership and I talked to him about this part. He said, well, there's two parts. There's a cheaper one and a more expensive one, depending on the VIN number, which we had. So I give him the VIN number, say, yeah, that's the more expensive one, unfortunately. Well, it turns out that his son got a quote for the wrong part. He didn't consider shipping. And is somebody going to have their car sitting for two or three days? So my point was, instead of apologizing, say, you know, oh, I didn't know why this happened. Oftentimes the customer is comparing apples with oranges. Yeah, but you're assuming that they're going to, that we're going to install that part for them if they, if they obtain it. That wouldn't be your part of any of your coaching advice, would Correct. it? Correct. We teach um, that you don't supply customer installed parts. Now, it's not completely that black and white. Uh, maybe it's an old Corvette and it's hard for us to find the part and they're part of the Corvette club and they can get it. That might be the exception, but not the rule. And so our recommendation is that we don't uh, install customer supplied parts, but we let them know why is because if that part failed, we'd have to charge you again. And you just give an illustration, one quick story, a true story where, you know what, this person came in with this. What's even worse than that, Carm, is when somebody comes in and says, do you think I can get a used part? My recommendation may be a bit sarcastic, but you say, oh, uh, you want a used part, do you? Actually, sir, because it's usually a, a male, not a female, um, you already have a used part and it's eight years old and it failed and you would like to pay me to remove an eight-year-old part that failed and replace it with another eight-year-old part. Is that what you're asking me? So what I teach is E and A, E and A, E and A, every day. Remember E and A, educate and advise, educate and advise. We're educating people who are ignorant, not stupid, and we let them know because they don't know that there's premium quality parts. They don't know there's cheap stuff. They don't know about warranty. They don't know all these things. I had one shop, by the way, and this is years ago, but he had a massive rubber stamp. It was almost 11 inches wide, almost exactly the same size as a landscaped work order. And it said no warranty. And it was red, red ink. And he go, bang it down, turn it around and say, can I get your signature? Because there's no warranty. He said, people look at me and go, oh my goodness, you're really serious about this. Well, it's in your best interest for us to supply a premium quality part, provide you with a 24 month, 24,000 mile warranty. So it's really more of an education to the customer and advising them that it's in their best interest to supply uh, a premium quality part. Kelly, do you see any changes in, because of the transparency in pricing, that uh, shops may change how they quote and not even uh, itemize the part and, and, and get into that kind of trouble? The, the final invoice, even the final quote, I mean, here it is, you're going to be doing some work on a car and people are go going out and finding their own prices on stuff. Yeah. And, you know, there's, hey, you, you say you're going to sell this to me for 50, I can buy it for 19. Uh, should we should we not get into that level of detail? And should the final bill not include it? I guess there's there's some talk going on about making improving the labor rate and and pushing the part through at cost. I disagree with that. But having said that, I'm glad you brought it up because sometimes a person will call someplace else and get the price of the part 
and the labor or get the full price and then what's the breakdown and call you back and say that part's cheaper someplace else. What they don't tell you is that the labor was going to be higher. And a lot of people play with a higher labor rate or they play with the time. And so it really is the full price. Let me give an example of how I educate people about this. I say, we give too much detail, way too much detail. Could you imagine if we ran McDonald's, the most successful company in the world, I say we would pretty much screw it up because people would come in and say, how much is the Happy Meal? Oh, that one's complicated. Now, the patty itself, I'm sure you know the patty is pretty expensive. It's the most expensive part of it. It's about 14 cents for that. Now, I don't know if you know, but if you've seen the price of tomatoes, I mean, the price of tomatoes just skyrocketed and that's about four cents. Now, the price of relish, holy crap, I don't know what's going on there. And so that's three cents. And you know, the bun, that's not too bad. That's about eight and a half cents. But you know, the little sesame me to seeds on top. I hate to tell you this, but we have to pay for those, but it's only two cents. Don't worry about that. And then the price of pickles. Holy crap, there's the pickles. No, it's the Happy Meal and it's $3.99. Now, back to your quote, I recommend that we list what the parts are. We list in more detail the labor, but one price for the entire package without going into the detail. Now, you do need to list the part for warranty purposes. I won't mention the name of the software, but one of my favorite softwares out there allows you to change the part number to be just five, the last five digits or four or whatever it is, not the full part number. And it's brilliant because a person says, oh, I wonder how much this part is someplace else. And they call and they go, how much is part number 4792? Oh, we don't have a part number 4792. So it doesn't allow them. And it, that would be like your plumber coming out and breaking down the invoice, how much you're paying for the pipe and how much you're paying. The bottom line is it's the Happy Meal and we give them a full price part. Pricing for parts is so easily available. You can get a price quote through tons of dot-com services today for jobs. And does the service professional need to really be aware of this stuff and maybe take on some different tactics? Again, it's about education and training more than anything. Too often, one of two things can happen most frequently. One is no patience for the customer. I don't have time to deal with people like that. And you know what? It's not a huge segment of the population that's pricing parts. It's according to what I've seen, about 12% of our consumers are cheapskates. There was a study done. Would you, how far would you be willing to travel to save $10? And I think it was five miles or five kilometers or something, but that's only 12% of the population. The problem is those 12% tend to be arrogant, rude, angry, yell, and that can ruin our perspective. Most people are reasonable. So don't allow the people that are price shopping like that to distort your perspective of your customers. What I find is some people have no patience for them or they're apologetic. Both are incorrect. We can't do business with everybody. Not, every, not everybody who walks in the door. Have you ever seen any of your customers, Kelly, who um, just gave incredible level of customer service and didn't make any money? I mean, they met every customer's expectations, but they just didn't make any money. If you make everybody happy, you're probably not making money. And I'm glad you used the word expectations. There are times, I believe, that we have to fire customers. Now, I don't believe the advisor has the authority to do that. I don't think it's their job. And when I'm teaching advisor classes, I say, don't go back and tell the boss that I told you you can fire customers because that's not what I'm saying. But there are times that we do need to fire a customer. There are times where a customer like that is yelling and screaming and it looks bad for the other people. Of course, then they make it look bad for themselves. But there are people that completely do not deserve to be our customers. And I'm glad you use the word expectation because I suggest if we can fix their car. That's not the problem. So just simply say, you know what, obviously we're unable to meet your expectations and we're going to suggest that you consider another shop. One fellow, he has business cards under his counter for other shops in the area. And he'll actually say, obviously we're unable to meet your expectations and here's some cards of other shops in the area. Some people, Carm, will go, oh my goodness, I don't mean that. No, no, no. And they become apologetic and they realize they were difficult. Not always. You're really looking for a win-win win almost out of a relationship, at least a win-win. I mean, it's, it's got to be profitable, done your way. You've got processes and systems and parts and quality and timelines, and the customer's got to kind of fit. When I first started training, I would call it the win-win, and then I changed it to win-win-win, and now I've made it five wins. Uh, the customer has to win, and if they don't, they're not coming back. 
the shop has to win because if we don't, we're not going to be in business. The employees have to win. If the techs are working on just grunt work and really bad work, they're not winning. But I also believe that uh, the vendor needs to win. Uh, and the shop owner needs to win. And so the shop is, owner is not necessarily the same as the business. The business could be making money, but they're not paying themselves. So the customer needs to win. The advisor employees me to, need to win. But the vendors, and I find that some people are so hard on their vendors and they're rude to their parts vendors and they're not loyal. I believe in being loyal. When you're loyal with people, they take better care of you. You have a bigger hammer. So yeah, everybody needs to win. If the customers don't win, they don't come back. If the shop doesn't win, they're, they're not staying in business. What a mouthful you just said. The vendor needs to win. Wow. So service availability, brand, pricing, training. Do you really teach your service professional to take a, a deep look at their supplier and make sure that they don't shop for every nickel and dime to, to cut the guy out? Most of the training I've done, CARM, has been for parts companies. And to give you an example, I was doing a session in Ontario, Canada, uh, Ottawa, made our capital. And it was a part vendor. We were above one of their parts stores in a training room that they used. And one guy looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, these guys charge too much for their parts. And I thought, you know what? I said to him, but sir, if we were in another part vendor, you could say the same thing because the part might be here. It might be cheaper there. It might be. And so you assume it's more. I say, here's the deal. If this part vendor increased their parts prices across the board, everything went up 10%, you would probably make more money. And if they decrease, decrease their price by 10%, you would probably make less because you don't go based on, on uh, cost. And, and the problem with that is you, people say, I, for example, had a fellow said three, his advisor said three people I need to call any part that's over $25. I need to phone three different vendors and then they will go with the cheapest part. It may be uh, sacrificing quality. It may be sacrificing delivery. It may be sacrificing the ability to go on the cruise they're going to have or the training session they've got going up. And I wanted to say something back to that session. So I said, sir, to me, it's about loyalty. And I'll give you an example. When I traveled, I've flown 20 some hundred times, 22, 2300 flights. And I was loyal. I, I love the airline. I flew. I love them. I love them. I love them so much that if I had to fly somebody else because of time or whatever, I'd look out the window and go, oh, there's my buddies. But I learned to be loyal. And when you're loyal with an airline, guess what? They treat you better. They have shorter lineups for you to go to. I was a super elite uh, passenger with an airline. I get to the airport and they said, Kelly, there's a huge line in customs today. We're going to escort you to the front of the line. And I thought, wow. And I went past all these people and they're looking at me and I'm thinking, am I lucky? No, I'm just loyal. And at one point with that one airline, I had, not exaggerated, over 500,000 miles. Let me. But how many suppliers are giving concierge service to their service you know, professionals? I'm, I'm glad you said that. But so let me finish this other thing. So this other trainer. And his idea was cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. So he'd go online, he'd fly a little bit with Alaska, a little bit with the United, a little bit with Delta, a little bit with all these other airlines. He phones me one day. He said, I need to go to Atlanta. How many points do you have? I said, well, Delta in this case, 500,000. He said, oh, I just don't have enough to fly there. So could you book my flight for me? Well, he probably had 500,000 too, but he split it up. And the point was he didn't have the party check-in. He didn't have the party luggage. He didn't have access to the lounges. Now back to parts vendors, Carm, I've seen some sales reps who love their customers so much. If there's going to be a delay in a part or a delivery problem, their truck broke down, the salesperson I've seen go to the store, get the part and bring it to them. And a lot of vendors will say, we're going to give you a rebate. The more you spend, the more rebate you get to go on the cruise. You get to, um, to go to our training expo, whatever. But it seems, Kelly, that each and every day it starts over. Instead of thinking about what the long-term relationship is and all the things that are going on in the vendor relationship, at 8 o'clock on Monday morning and 8 o'clock on Tuesday and Wednesday, it's a new game. Every day starts fresh. Yeah, and, and, and it almost, I think you're saying it shouldn't. It should not, exactly. It's long-term stuff. And my experience is when you're loyal to a vendor, they will take better care of you. And if you're loyal and you get annoyed for whatever reason and you stop calling them, if they're used to you calling every day, it'll take one day for them to realize they'll call you what's up. 
But if you only phone them once in a while, then you're not loyal to them. They're not even going to notice that. Bottom line is most part vendors, not all, will take better care of their loyal customers. Okay, so I I, I call my loyal vendor. I find a part for 20 bucks. I throw it in my uh, my matrix, and I'm going to sell it for 45 Now I keep calling, and now I find that for seventeen fifty. I keep the 45 and now look what I just did, the way I improved my margin dollars. Usually, not always, but usually most shops will go from from their from their cost. And so on a parts matrix, and I've showed it to people, I found that part cheaper. So let's put it into the matrix and see what happens. So you just worked more, you made more calls, it took more time, and you actually made less money. Now, when somebody will still mark it up from that higher cost, I'm, I'm not really agreeing with that. Sometimes, not always, but it's a lower quality part. And so I will see some people who will take a lower quality part with a lower cost and mark it up from the higher cost, higher quality part. And I totally disagree with that. Now that's rare, but how much time can you spend in a day phoning every vendor or going online to find out I can get a cheaper part, get a cheaper part, and usually they make less. Good stuff, Kelly. Thank you so much. Now, give me a few minutes on your tragic accident that happened in 2003 out in Las Vegas and and, and what this great, beloved automotive aftermarket did to help you out quick thing just before that i was at a uh, a high school reunion and i saw my very first girlfriend from years ago you know when you go to a reunion they want to know did you get married do you have kids what do you do for work and she said what do you do for work and i said i teach business management to automotive repair shops she looked at me and said are any of them honest and i thought oh my goodness what a perspective not everybody has that perspective but a lot of people think that automotive shops just make a ton of money well in 2003 I was going to speak at the cars convention, which in those days, as you know, was part of automotive industry week. And so NACE, SEMA, cars, Apex were all around the same time, then different days sometimes. But I went to speak at that event, which I'd spoken at before. And the night before, um, it's a bit complicated, but somebody messed up my hotel reservation and where the meeting was, the Tropicana, there was no reservation for me. It was a lucky communication. And so I chose a hotel off the strip. I mean, I've been to Vegas lots. I'm just not a gambler. It's not my thing. And so I was happy to stay in a casino that didn't have a, or sorry, a hotel that didn't have a casino. But um, <laughs> the week before I'd been in Chicago and I went to the Hard Rock Cafe and they have an amazing ice cream sundae. And there was a Hard Rock Cafe really close to the hotel. So that's where I was heading to. Uh, you know, how sometimes we, I, we just try to save time and, you know, when they say look both ways before you cross the street, they, they mean something there. And so I'm looking across the street and there's this big median between me and the other lane. And so I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll wait for the traffic to clear on the left. Paradise Boulevard, seven lanes of traffic. They've since changed it. It's, two, it's one way now. But I thought I'll run across, stop on the median, wait for the traffic to clear on the right and continue on. But as I'm looking at the traffic coming, I'm walking closer to where Hard Rock is. I'm saving some time, right? I'm looking at Anyway, where I run across the road and the traffic had cleared on the left, there was no median anymore. And I've noticed that in many instances where close to the uh, intersection, there's a fairly large median in this case was about maybe six, seven feet. But where I crossed, again, I'm looking to the left instead of at the median, and all that's there is a little rounded curb. So I, I don't remember getting hit per se. All I remember is it's too late. And I was hit by a cab at about 50 miles an hour. And I don't remember that, of course. And uh, I woke up in the hospital after being in a coma for off and on for a few days. But um, so I was in a Vegas hospital for two and a half weeks. I was airlifted home in a Learjet and I was in the Calgary hospital for three and a half weeks and I was in a wheelchair for five months. And so I was not working. I'm self-employed. There's no insurance money for that. And so I didn't work for five months and uh, I, I was in tears even right now, um, almost every day, Carm, when I was in the hospital, 
one of the nurses came in and said, look, this has got to stop. She said, people are calling for you all the time. She said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm not a big shot. I just happen to be well-known in the automotive industry. And it's not like I can tell people to stop calling because it's not the same people. It's it's different people. I mean, people went to the event that morning and, and Chris Chesney from CarQuest, who had booked me, he had to teach the class and he explained what happened. And some people came to visit me at the hospital then and phone calls and cards and letters and emails. And then money started coming coming in. And there would be one day, for example, I was in hospital in Calgary. And because I worked in the US, I would get US dollars, of course, and uh, which was a dollar fifty some at the time. And I wouldn't keep money in that account. I'd put the money in and then transfer it to my Canadian account. And so one day, um, uh, one of my clients phones me and he said, Kelly, we want to help you. I said, eh, you know, I'm fine. You know, ego. He said, no, no, we really want to help you. I said, well, um, if you want to lend me some money, he said, no, I don't want to lend you money. You've helped me make so much money and other people in this industry, we want to help you. And he said, I didn't ask you. I love Americans. I didn't ask you if we can help you. I told you we are going to. How do I get you money? So I'll give you my bank account number, Carm. The next day I phoned my bank. The balance of my US dollar account would usually be like a buck or something, a little bit to cover service charges. Your US dollar balance is 9500 in one day. And if you added it up, which I did, all the thank you, sorry, thank you cards, uh, which I sent out, but get well cards, somewhere around $40,000, 42000 was given to my family over that five-month period. At least thirty to 35000 came from the automotive industry. And I had people write cards and say, you know what, Kelly, you've helped me make so much money over the years and we want to give back to you. So when people talk negatively about the car industry, um, I can tell you, I love our industry. Some of the nicest people I've ever met are, uh, are in our industry. And so, again, I was in tears pretty much every day. Um, I get the mail. What a, what a great story. Great, great story. That's why you love it so much, the industry. We loved it before, but that certainly, um, uh, yeah. There's actually a, there's a YouTube video that describes that accident and explains what happened and some pictures and such. But glad to hear the story. Thank you for sharing. Hey, um, you live in Calgary? I live in Calgary, sir. I'm going to be in Calgary next March. Really? We should have a beer. I think Canada is noted for beer, isn't it? Hockey and beer? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. <laughs> um, now, we usually win gold in the Olympics every year. Not so much this year. But uh, Canadians... Um, Beer, hockey, and poutine. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, that third one there. And you know my favorite beer is? And it's it's the number one beer here in Buffalo, New York, uh, Labatt's Blue Light. Well, um, because I worked in the U.S. for a long time, um, my favorite's Budweiser. And uh, I've had people say, you've got to be kidding. It's horrible beer. And I said, look at the label right there. It says the king of beers. Uh, they couldn't put that on there if it wasn't true. Um, so we'll have to have a bud and <laughs> have a bud and a, and a blue light. All right. Great. Uh, Kelly Bennett, AAM from Kelly, the coach. Thanks for your incredible uh, wisdom. Appreciate you being here. Carm, thank you very much. Sir. It's an honor to be on your program. Thanks, Kelly Bennett, for sharing your wisdom so that all ships rise. The Learning Superhighway has a new audio chapter. So glad, Kelly, that you've recovered from your accident in Las Vegas and to hear the story of the outpouring of support that exemplifies the giving nature of our industry. Find the documented talking points for Kelly's interview at remarkableresults.biz slash E331. Hey, I'm always interested in what's on your mind. Easy to reach me. Email carm at remarkableresults.biz or head over to the contact page on the website. Talk soon. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 